if you're a founder, having other founder friends is the most important thing you can do for yourself because there are times where you're like sitting behind your computer and you're like, I am a failure. Like, how can I not, I didn't grow this fast enough. And I, why is this so hard for me? And you just think that it's just you, but when you surround yourself with founders and you're all sitting around the table and you're like, this is really fucking hard. And everybody's sharing like, you know, their stories of somebody who made it to the end of diligence. They plan their entire fundraise around them. And then they pulled out at the last minute and they were like, had no capital left. And they were like literally transferring money to pay, do payroll from their own personal, like literally these stories are a dime a dozen. And once you remember that and you surround yourself with that, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like this is just par for the course. We are back for another episode of You're Not Your Rose, and I am excited about this one. We actually had a little bit of preamble in the uh, Miami Geek Out. I got to meet her in person, and I got to tell you, the hair is even more fab in person. Um, and she is the rock star, the queen behind House of Wise, the gummy guru, Amanda Goats. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? I am fantastic. You were just hot off a trip, jet lagged, but still looking fabulous. Um, how'd your talk go? Um, yeah, every the trip was amazing. I spent a week in Switzerland and a week in Amsterdam just trying to unplug because I hadn't really done that in a very long time. And I realized how much I needed it. So it was amazing. Oh, fantastic. Um, your recent Miami transplant, correct? How long have you been there? Been here now. It'll be a one-year anniversary coming up in August. I was in New York City for the last 11 years. Then COVID hit, and I am a single mom with three kids. And at the time, it was like three kids under the age of six when COVID started. And New York City is not built for you to live in your home. Like, you spend yeah. the majority of your time outside of your home. And so the inverse of that was not a reality I wanted to live in. So left New York City during the pandemic with the kids and migrated south. Amazing. Amazing. How did you, I guess let's kind of just jump into a little bit of your backstory. How did you get into entrepreneurship? Was, is it, uh, I can't even pronounce it, Evelyn Deer or out? Your wedding tech company. Was that your first foray or was it even? Oh, a Valender. A Valender, yeah. Oh my a Valender. Um, yeah, availability calendar, a Valender. Um, so interestingly enough, like I, so I grew up in a small town, 800 people, like in the middle of central Illinois. Um, neither of my parents went to college. And so on paper, my dad is the town plumber and electrician, et cetera. But like, he is an entrepreneur. He started that business um, right out of high school and built it to successfully, you know, provide for our family while my mom took care of us. And I watched him go through the ups and downs of what it looks like to, to have a business, to, to balance his life. Like he never missed his golf on Thursday mornings. He never missed one of my basketball games. He was the high school golf coach for my brother. Like he was very, very like focused on making sure that he 
he fulfilled all areas of his life that were important to him. But also it came with like the ups and downs of owning a business. So I saw all of that kind of firsthand. Um, But then my first job, so I don't think I've ever shared this, but so my senior year of college, I was already married. Like I got married super young and I wanted to graduate early. So yeah. And so I wanted to graduate early because one, I was paying for college Two, I now had a husband who lived in Chicago. And so I wanted to get out of, out of college. And so I had to take 18 hours of credits, um, to, to graduate early. And I took them Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, full, like full days of class. Then on Wednesdays, I would take a bus up to Chicago to be with my husband at the time. And I worked at Ernst & Young um, for 10 hours on Thursday, 10 hours on Friday as an internship. And so my first job after I graduated that December was I went full-time to Ernst & Young and I helped manage their Entrepreneur of the Year program. So I was analyzing companies that were going through EOY and shepherding them through through the program. So I got to actually like you know, like Linnell Kirby of Ulta and, and like big name founders and entrepreneurs who were, you know, nearing the, the IPO potential. And so that was actually my, my first exposure really upfront to what it was like to build a a venture backed business. Oh, wow. That's, that's some hustle from some young age. That's incredible. I'm also a big 10 guy. Uh, I went to Indiana. Yeah, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I've been to, what is it called, Little Five? Oh, my gosh. You know how to get down then. Yeah, that's a, a unique experience, to <laughs> say the least. Oh, my God. I have some stories, but th- that's a different podcast. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, could sw- we could swap them offline. I'm, I'm the same. Uh, the Urbana-Champaign was cool. Though. I, I went out there for a few conferences uh, when I was into some academic stuff, but that's awesome. So, Tell me a little bit more about kind of what it's like to like you were at the not. Are you still at Teal or are you House of Wise full time? So my my journey to be an entrepreneur this time around was very different because the stakes were higher. I had kids. Yep. My first job, I was I had a partner. I had a husband and it was a little easier. Um, so my first startup, I did that. That was about back in 2011, 2012, when I was, the New York tech scene was just heating up. I did an accelerator. Um, that was a wedding tech company that led me to the knot. And I was at the knot for five and a half years or so. And I was working on house of wise about a year before I actually put some steam behind it and raised some capital Mm -hmm. for the idea. Um, but it was during the pandemic that I decided that now is the time that women actually in men need products that are, are not alcohol, that they can like actually go towards for stress and anxiety and depression. So I told my boss I was going to start working on this and I started talking about it publicly and I was still at, at the knot. And, but I was very, very clear to everyone involved that I'm doing both. I'm going to talk about both. I'm going to, Everybody's clear. Then what happened was towards like September, October, I, I raised a round of capital in June. Then towards September, October, I realized that House of Wise needed more of me, not mm-hmm. just nights and weekends. And so it was very serendipitous. I'd been talking to Dave Fano, the founder of Teal, and loved what he was doing around career mm-hmm. management. 
and there really wasn't something like there like it out there. And so we started talking and he was like, hey, if you would ever want to be a fractional CMO and help us like figure out go to market strategy, like I'm down. And I was like, let's do it. Let's time box it though, because I want to manage expectations because I'm going to go raise a round of true like seed round um, Q1 of next year. So we did a six month fractional CMO um, where I, I helped him think through kind of go to market strategy, set up like the the idea around his marketing team, et cetera. And that was two days, two and a half days a week. And then two and a half days, I now had House of Wise, where I wasn't paying myself, but I had more time. Then fast forward to six months is over. By then, that was my deadline to raise the round of capital. And I did. And so I raised the two million seed round. And so now I could pay myself a little something, build out a team. And so at that moment, I transitioned to an advisor role of Teal. How cool. You are just, what a rock star you are. Or a masochist. Like, what are the other? <laughs> yeah. Tomato, tomato. tomato. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about raising money. It was, uh, I mean, $2 million, that's pretty substantial. That's pretty awesome. What was that like? Is that... Was that pretty difficult? Is that like a road show? Like how was this just people you knew through your network? Like, give me a little bit of color there. Oh, I mean, what I say now <laughs> is not applicable to the market right now. Like it was raising 2 million Q1 of 2021 is like night and day from raising capital right now. Um, so a couple of things when I was raising at that time, like, you have to remember a couple of things were true. One, we were still in the thick of the pandemic and we clubhouse was still a thing and people were still very active on social media. Like they were spending a lot of time consuming and engaging. And so raising at that point, and especially cause I had built up a, you know, a, a pretty decent Twitter following so I was kind of just sharing the story of what I was doing and why it was important and how it was different because we're, we're obviously different. I know this, I, I, I don't know if this is the podcast I can talk about not using performance marketing, but um, I'm in an industry where you can't, you know, yep. it's not, it's not a, a true positive ROAS because you can't do direct to an ingestible cannabis product. So long story short, uh, it was intriguing to people who were really thinking about like the new next step of D2C and, and how do you build brands through community. And so I, I was able to, to raise the $2 million pretty quickly um, just because we got a lead investor. It just clicked and he had known me from Twitter. And so it clicked and then um, everyone followed on. Like literally raising capital is like, it's like lemmings. Like once one person mm -hmm. that has, you know, some semblance of influence to other investors, once they jump on, they all, everybody's like, oh, okay, this, someone else legitimized it. I can go on now. And so it's really about finding that linchpin. I love that. That's, first of all, congrats. And the other thing that I uh, use the analogy in terms of uh, capital raising is throwing a party. And like, nobody wants to be the first person at the party. Like you invite, hey man, I'm gonna have this party. You should come. You're like, okay, cool. The first question everybody asks is, oh, who's coming? And so like the who's coming yeah. invite list is the cap table. And so like all you need is like if I tell people, hey, I'm throwing a party and Amanda's coming, everybody's like, hell yeah, I'm coming. And then it's just that uh, you need that like wedge that breaks the dam. And then it's just this flood of awesomeness. Um, that's incredible. 
Have you always been so fashionable? <laughs> kind of a random question, but I just I just follow your stuff. I follow you on all your like on your instas and everything, and you're just like so hip. And I don't know, is that like in a because you're no. coming from? I mean, I guess Chicago's kind of fashiony, Easta ish. No, but like I'm not. from the Midwest. Okay, the Midwest is not fashionable. You. I will text you what I looked like. No, um, you want to know something funny is I, well, when I was a quote unquote tomboy, like I was an athlete my whole life. So in high school, like I didn't wear makeup. I wore jerseys every day, either a football jersey or like a Reggie Miller jersey or whatever. Like I was, uh, like a through and through athlete. Uh, then like, no, it wasn't until... I got divorced and something happens when you get divorced that you lose all sense of identity. You have no clue who you are and you're kind of like, I have to start from scratch and figure out who I am independent of, and for me, it was an 11 year marriage. And so that was like an interesting kind of like rebirth, I think of like who I am, who I want to be like, and, and I, and obviously then you're single and I was a single mom. So I was like, I got to get back out in the dating world again. So I'll, I had to care what I looked like. Like there was so much to it, but no, I was not. This is like, and I, trust me, five minutes ago, I was wearing like the geek out hoodie. So I appreciate you. That's amazing. Oh, I love it. Um, so kind of in that same vein of that rebirth, <coughs> excuse me, you're super fit. You're super motivated. You're mentally super sharp. How do you, and you have three kids. Like, how do you, like, do you use resources, frameworks? Like, how do you stay so fit, so happy, so motivated? Like, what, is there any things that you can share with our listeners in terms of like secrets, routines, anything like that? I, yeah. I mean, I'm a fun robot. Um, but I'll, I'll share a few things that I've learned. So the best thing about Ernst & Young starting my career there is they had a lot of focus on learning and development. And like, I took like a course on the four day work week and a, a course on seven habits. And that was very early in my career. But, um, I've always done a lot. Like I told you, like I, I, I graduated early and I was working at Ernst & Young and I had three jobs in college. Like I've always been a person that, um, had like a lot of stokes in the fire, so to speak. But the things that I've learned, I'll say a few things. One habit is like habit loops are your friend when it comes to efficiency, like the less decisions I have to make in a day, the better. And so I time block my days and they're pretty consistent every day. Like I know my flow state and my cortisol levels are higher in the morning. I can hit flow state easier. That's like when I do all of my, what I call offensive work, meaning it's projects that matter to me and are aligned with like the goals I'm working on. And I, I never have more than three things that I want to do in that like two hour time block because three is manageable. If I, if I hit three and I have more time, then I'll do something else. But like I will always tackle three things. And so imagine if you just got three things done a day, but they were the most important three things. Like you really, really chip away at like meaty projects. So that's number one. Um, I block my calendar before 11 a.m. And, and only until 11 a.m. is when I can take meetings. At 3 p.m. is when my cortisol levels like truly, truly start to like nosedive and I hit that wall. And so I've efficiently like, 
thought found that working out at that time helps to restabilize because most people like reach for the cup of coffee or sugar or something to like get through the afternoon. If you work out and not try to like push through till 5 p.m., like work out when you start to feel that crash because you're you'll naturally get your like adrenaline back up and 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 restabilize your like it's called adrenal fatigue, but like you'll you'll bring that back up and so. I'll do that in the afternoon, come back, crank out a little bit more work. Then by 5.30, 6 p.m., I've now gotten the things I wanted to done. I've done the meetings. Um, I've gotten my workout in. And, and now it's like phone away, kid time for the next three hours. And then I think the biggest secret of all that like I feel like is unpopular is I don't work at night. I truly shut off and I, I read and then I go to bed and I go to bed every night before 9 p.m. That's like, I may sound like an old lady, but for me, sleep has always, like even in college, I was like the person that pretended to drink and then like once everybody was hammered, <laughs> I'd like go out of there and then I would go to bed because I had to be up at six in the morning to like teach group fitness classes, but like for me, it's it's about one, understanding your body and, and aligning your work to when your body, it's just like an athlete. Like if you don't think about your biomechanics and when you have energy and when you don't, like really, really thinking about your work from a, how can I do my best work from a biological standpoint? That's brilliant. I love the offensive kind of defensive type of thing. And that, do you have any, cause I'm trying to get the bedtime thing down too. Cause I, I, I know when I sleep more like, or get to bed early, like when I win my morning, I win my day. And when I lose my morning, it can be super challenging. And one of the things I'm in central time zone and my bosses are in Eastern. And then we have people in Israel that are seven hours ahead. So you can wake up to just this deluge of just stuff that you, you want to touch and get on. How do you get to bed at 9 PM? Do you have like an alarm? Do you have like is there, I'm trying to build a morning or an evening routine because I, I, I know that's what I need to do, but I can't, like, I struggle with it. And then I want to spend time with my partner and I feel bad going to bed early. And like, so any, any like yeah. tips there? So I'll say the first thing, like when you wake up and you see all that stuff coming from Israel and, and other people, like that's like the first issue because you can't look at it. Like you have to keep all your notifications off. Because all of a sudden, then that's now in your brain and you think, well, that'll take two seconds. I'll, let me just respond to that. And, respond to that. <laughs> and now you're on their time and they're like, none of that's urgent. If it was urgent, they'd text you. And and so I think like matching your, your to-dos with like the channel and making sure that you block out that so you can own your morning. But nighttime is, okay, so the because we have a sleep product, we've worked with sleep experts and sleep doctors. The two biggest things around sleep that affect sleep. The first one is stress. Yeah. That'll affect your sleep. The second one is temperature. And the third one is, you know, food, caffeine, et cetera, what you've ingested. Um, so if you, if you just focus on those three things, so, so stress, like that's why I have a, I built a CBD business because it, it, you know, is directly correlated with re reducing your cortisol levels and working with your endocannabinoid system. Um, but so you have to bring down your stress. What increases stress? Looking at work, looking at, so figure out what you're doing that's increasing your your brain to, to cycle through. I don't allow myself to look at social media after 8 p.m. Like I, I'm, luckily I have kids. So they're like the great 
I, I will literally put them to bed and that's kind of my signal to myself that it's time to go like take a bath, turn on Dave Matthews band, like chill. <laughs> and then I read, like I, I will try to read a, like a few pages of a book, but in a, if I take a gummy, like within 30 minutes of taking the gummy, it's like, it's truly kicking in. And now I'm like, and then I have an eight sleep mattress, which cools me, which has been a game changer for like the temperature, which is number two. And then number three, um, what you eat. Like I try not to eat after the sounds. Cra- I sound like a crazy person, but I try not to eat after like four or 5 PM because I like to have enough time to digest my food. And I don't drink caffeine after 8 AM because the half-life of caffeine is so long. People don't realize that like caffeine stays in your system so much longer. And so even if you have a cat, like a coffee at 12, like it's still in your system when you're going to bed. No wonder. Okay, so I need my stress gummy. I need to read more, and I need my eight sleep. I've heard about the eight sleep, so I need to. Okay, done. I'm gonna ping you. You're gonna hook me up with your your fancy discount code, and then I'm gonna yeah. get the house of wise going. Amazing. That makes so much sense, though. Like you just totally broke it down for me. Incredible. You are such a woman of many talents. Um, okay, last one for the main segment. What's the nicest thing someone's done for you? Oh my gosh. Oh my. How much time do we have? I want to say like (laughs) the beginning of Twitter, like I just got on Twitter now. It's been like three years, but like the people that really, really lifted me up on Twitter and like would take my ideas and amplify them and, and really support like that community. There are amazing people on Twitter that truly, truly have the power to help, you know, clear the path for you. And so men and women, um, I will say like there is an incredible community on there. Obviously Twitter comes with its own bag of like stuff, but um, there's some OG people from my first days of Twitter that really, really have um, like been, like they're out there working for House of Wise without working for House of Wise. Like they're helping find investors, they're helping champion the product. So I would say that and honestly, my kids, take care of me more than I probably take like I I don't know how but I like have this the most empathetic warm loving children and like they will like if I'm working and they know I'm working they like bring me water and like it's these like little things that I'm like wow like they care about me and so for me it's like little things like that that show me the nice things but yeah Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. The kiddos making everything worthwhile. Um, yeah. Okay, this is why the people bought the ticket. You ready to jump into the value add segment? Okay. All right. Game on. Okay, so before we go kind of too deep, give us kind of the elevator pitch of House of Wise. We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but if people aren't hip to it, kind of tell everybody what it is, what is kind of the, the gummies, the research behind it, all that stuff. Yeah. So House of Wise, we're changing the conversation around health and wellness. Um, We are a a CBD business, but all of our products are original formulas. So we've worked with a team of researchers and chemists to design products for sleep, sex, stress, and strength. And above anything else, I want to remove the the stigma around mental health, yes, um, but also sexual health and wellness, especially for women. We're we're just now entering a phase where women feel a little more comfortable talking about sexual health. Um, 
so anytime I, I hit something in my life that feels like I should be talking about it in like a corner in a dark corner, like no one can hear me. That's when I like want to tweet about it and talk about it or <laughs> because I'm not the only one that's going through that. And so House of Wise is truly um, sitting at the intersection of commerce. We have products community. We're backed by uh, what we call our wise men and women who are our affiliates. They're our affiliate community. Um, and then content. So the founders of Pop Sugar, they led our seed round. We brought on an editor in chief from Pop Sugar who um, literally manages our freelance writers. We produce so much content around each of these pillars of sleep, sex, stress, strength, um, mental health, sexual health, etc. And so we're, we're sitting at this intersection of content, commerce, and community where we, we value each of those pillars and growing each of those pillars equally. Well, that's a great pitch. I love the, the, the four S's. I don't think anything falls outside of that. That's sensational. Uh, why is it called House of Wise? So I was in India when COVID started for work. Um, I was on a work trip. And I remember like getting on the plane and I was like, people are wearing masks. Should I be wearing a mask? Like, I don't, this COVID <laughs> thing, like, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I went and um, I had been thinking about the company and, and removing the stigma around cannabis and, and building something for women like me who are like, you know, multi-hyphenate women trying to like juggle work and life. And I went to the Taj Mahal one morning and came back and I was at my hotel and I I was like, you know what? I want to research women who, for lack of better words, like have gotten fucked over by the patriarchy in mm -hmm. life. And I, I was researching different women and this story of this woman, Brownie Wise, uh, came up on my radar. And her, she was the, the, she worked for Tupperware and Earl Tupper was the CEO. He created the little kitchen storage thing. But Brandy Wise was the woman who realized that women are so fucking influential and powerful and have the buying power. And so she's the one who created the Tupperware party where women could come together, sell the stuff to their friends. Oh. So she took what was a very tiny business around kitchen storage and made it a massive business. And when she asked to, you know, have equity in the company, have an executive position, um, by that point, the company had already been huge. And so Earl Tupper actually fired her and then sold the company like three or four months later and she got nothing. So I named the company after her um, as kind of a like, fuck the patriarchy, you know, little zinger in there. That is one of the coolest naming stories ever. Normally somebody's like, yeah, I was drunk one night and this is kind of what we <laughs> came up with and the URL was open. Like that was like the most meaningful founding name story ever. How cool. Oh, wow. And then, so tell me a little bit about, because you do have a really, really strong uh, brand across multiple channels to your LinkedIn, your Instagram, your Twitters. How important is it to keep building your personal brand alongside of House of Wise? Because there is a bit of a halo effect, right, from you, your personal brand into especially in some, in some sense, like the, the sexuality angles, like you're very attractive, very fit, 
in terms of the strength angles, in terms of the stress stuff, like you have the mom thing going and you're, you're seriously like one of the most motivated, like you do so much stuff. How, uh, how do you kind of see that balancing in terms of building your personal brand and then that halo effect that it has for House of Wise? Well, thank you. You're very kind. Um, I, I get this question a lot of like, do you need to have a personal brand to be a founder? Mm -hmm. And, and I always say like the answer depends on what industry you're going into and who you're speaking to. And do you, are you the person that is the most equipped to speak to those people? Um, and for me, I was creating a, a, a company and a line of products that were literally created for me. Like I went out to, I had never touched cannabis before in my life. And when I went to explore the industry, I didn't feel like there were brands that were speaking to me, someone who I wasn't trying to get high. I was truly, truly looking to manage my anxiety. Um, and, and I was scared of like marijuana leaves and like all this stuff. I was like, I, I have <laughs> toddlers and I, you know, this is my first step into cannabis. And so I was creating something that was truly, truly targeted at me and so when, when you're solving your own problems, that becomes interesting. And then I did, um, as a marketer, like obviously I did a lot of market research and I, I surveyed about a hundred women and I said like, one, can you name a CBD brand? And they couldn't like brand recall was very, very low, um, for any brand. This is prior to me launching house of wise. And then the second question I asked them was, what are what are the factors that are most important to you in choosing a if you were going to try a CBD product? So the three things were trust, efficacy, and who's behind it. Like I had this whole list, and they they would rank each of them. So trust meaning can I trust like the product um, where it's coming from, and also like I'm ingesting something. Efficacy will it actually work? Will I feel something? And then who's behind it? And, and the cannabis industry is primarily still male dominated. And so I think that that was really, really important for me to show like, uh, these are products I use. I'm a single mom. I have three toddlers. Like I, I, I had a corporate job at the time, like, and I use all of these products. And so if you, if any of these things resonate with you, like increased anxiety over the age of 30, like hormonal issues, like libido dropping because of a variety of reasons. Like, like there's so many things that women don't feel like they're equipped to, to learn about and talk about and then the solutions for them. So I felt like it was really important for me to kind of be out there. Now, I don't want to be the face of the brand forever, meaning mm -hmm. uh, like House of Wise will grow beyond me. And I cannot wait for that day because it will be an amazing milestone to have people be like, Amanda Getz, never heard of her. House of Wise, love the gummies. Like, that would be a great day in my book. <laughs> that is cool. What a really tactical approach, too. I love that. And those uh, three pillars make a ton of sense, where you want the the trust, the efficacy, but then there's also, like, you're that linchpin that brings those two really important parts that these people are looking for, and you're kind of the manifestation of that. That's really awesome. Yeah, women are women are becoming way more sensitive to brands targeting at women, but led by men. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, what are the best parts and hardest parts of running House of Wise? Best parts are the the 
connections, like the emotional connections, like I know most of our wise men and women were still like around a thousand people selling the products and um, like just like they're in my DMs telling me stories and like I know about their lives. And so for me, it's the like true emotional connection with the community and I know them, like they feel like, like they have access to me. Um, Downs are just like, it's, it's fucking hard. Like it's, it's yeah. really hard. Um, I have like 8,000 headwinds. Like I picked the hardest industry to build. Like, <laughs> like You can't do Google and Facebook advertising like in an efficient way. There's ways to work around it, but it's not necessarily um, smart money. Um, and I can't do SMS marketing because the phone carriers don't allow cannabis. Uh, like you, like, literally everything going against you like we we tried doing a tiktok ad campaign and the girl like the girl's tiktok got flagged for a week and she couldn't use it and i was like i don't want that to ever happen to someone whose like entire income stream comes from tiktok like i would feel horrible so we have to like tiptoe around that so there's a lot of headwinds and um you know when you take on vc capital you have to keep growing you have to you right. have people to answer to and so there there's it's just pressure and, and stress, but you know, it's important to just remember that if you're a founder, having other founder friends is the most important thing you can do for mm -hmm. yourself because there are times where you're like sitting behind your computer and you're like, I am a failure. Like, how can I not, I didn't grow this fast enough. And I, why is this so hard for me? And you just think that it's just you, but when you surround yourself with founders and you're all sitting around the table and you're like, this is really fucking hard. And everybody's sharing like, you know, their stories of somebody who made it to the end of diligence. They plan their entire fundraise around them. And then they pulled out at the last minute and they yep. were like, had no capital left. And they were like literally transferring money to pay, do payroll from their own personal, like, literally these stories are a dime a dozen. And once you remember that and you surround yourself with that, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay. Like this is just par for the course. Yeah. I think you're spot on there where, uh, not that like for lack of a better term, like misery loves company, but like there's a certain aspect of like, you can get in this bubble, especially too, if you read kind of, I think people forget how hard it is and then you get the success and then they, it's almost like reading. Like reading is actually a really difficult skill. It takes you years and years and years to learn how to read as a child, but now you kind of like take it for granted. And I think like starting a business and making it successful, you have like all these cool things and the journalists and stuff like that, very rarely do they want to write about, you know, stuff, bad stuff, quote unquote, that's not like super sex, like the bolts and the, the fast and stuff like that. That's fun. That Those blow up. But like those people that are just trying to middle around and palpitate the elephant to figure it out and being around those people is just, I, I found that with myself as well. Cause I was originally used to run my own agency, but it was pretty much more of like an IC role where I was doing a lot, building a lot. And now I'm in this executive role where there's just different value vectors. There's different stressors, there's politics, there's budgeting. There's just all these things that like you, you just, it's hard, but then you get around like to your point, people in the same realm and you're like oh yeah everybody's dealing with this shit it's not just me like there's it? just this it's kind of like ah, like you, you just uh it, take a deep breath from it so yeah i am 100 percent with you on that um speaking of since you do have all these kind of headwinds in terms of acquisition 
is content and affiliates kind of your biggest levers that you're pulling on or what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Content and our affiliate program. Um, it's a halo effect for both of them. They make every channel more efficient. Um, but, and we also went big on, uh, earned media in the first year to Mm -hmm. create brand trust. Cause again, trust was really, really important. So, uh, luckily I've been a marketer for over 15 years and, and, my head of comms from my last company followed me with me. Um, and so we understand like how, how to do earned media and, and she's incredible. And so we had 2 billion earned media impressions in our first year of, of business. Woo-hoo. Let's go. Insane. And so everything has this ripple effect and, and it, it, you have to have OKRs aligned with it so you can see the connections. But um, yeah, Content is huge because you are giving educational information, not just sales. Um, And so it gives somebody a reason to open your email. And then email is a huge sales channel for us, but not our sales emails. It's the newsletters and things that we're writing about around sexual health, mental health, et cetera. Yeah, I love that. For us, that's our big pillars as well in terms of content, community, and education. Those are the three three big vectors that we're going to do. Are you going to do any in real life stuff? We're actually leaning fairly heavily into events this year and they're, they're a little bit of capital intensive, but you can get some people to sponsor it. So you can kind of, uh, you know, cushion the nut, but would you guys ever, are you guys thinking about that at all or not? Not really down the line. Cause we are a community backed. Um, I think where we're at this stage of the company, like we're only now 16 months old. We're still very yeah. early. Um, we need to still like, I I said, year one was laying the foundation year two is kind of like plumbing and wiring. Like we need to make sure that everything's working efficiently before we, you know, do the things that are the like pretty window dressings and putting the like pool in the backyard. Like we need to like get our plumbing and stuff figured out. So right now we're doing all the kind of like boring stuff. That's not as flashy, which is making sure that all of our, like when we do paid, it's like going to the right landing pages. Those are efficient. Our emails are efficient. Like everything is like truly, truly set. When you open the the top of the funnel, it's the most efficient opening that you can have. Yeah. I love that. Um, Tell me how you think the next two to three years of e-commerce are going to unfold. And then tell me how you think that is going to impact house of wise couple predictions. Let's see here. Number one, I think we're going to continue to see community as like the pillar and and people really, really harnessing like what does community mean? Because now everyone's saying you have to have a community. Well, people's attention spans are so finite. Um, What does community mean? And I think that we're going to kind of crystallize that a little bit more and you're going to see people who are doing it well um, come to the the front. Um, uh, I would say we are probably, this is my hot take. I think that we're going to start to see more direct mail come back Mm -hmm. um, because it's so hard to break through the noise of the digital landscape now. And if you can create an immersive experience that is offline, that is huge. Um, And so you, it has to be done in the right way because we all, when you get a stack of mail and it's just like a bunch, you're just flyers, blah, like throwing them out as fast as humanly possible. 
but if it's done right, I think that like having that, um, that kind of offline experience is going to be big. Uh, and then I do think partnerships like goop and Poosh doing the candle together. Like we just saw it on like the Kardashians, but like seeing more intersection of major brands is, is just like a no brainer because you have two sets of audiences that are share alignment on mission and values and, and whatnot. And so I have a feeling we'll see more of that just because CACs are just continuing to increase and, and it's a lot harder um, to widen the top of the funnel. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I, I'm pretty bullish also on, like I'd open a letter from you, of course. It's Amanda. Why wouldn't I want? Like, I, I, there's some really cool stuff you can do with Postpilot, um, with Clavio. Like, there's, I, I'm pretty bullish on, and you can do it in a in a in a segmented manner that makes it um, make the economics work. Um, and yeah. to your point, it's it's a really intimate medium. I think like podcasting and direct mail are kind of like these these really intimate mediums where um, I'll meet people and they're like, oh, I I know you, Rob, blah, 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 from just like just randomly listening to podcasts or videos or whatever. It's just such an intimate medium that you're in somebody's ears. You know, it, it's just, uh, I, I love those predictions. Yeah, right? I, the only reason I didn't put podcasts in is because I think it's like, I would think maybe marketers don't think this way, but like we podcasts were huge for us for the year one. We, we partnered with, and we even have people on our cap table that have massive podcasts so that we can tap into their audiences, run efficient ads. Podcasts are huge because of everything you just said. You can truly, truly make something have multiple touch points. Like you can, you can saturate a, an audience that you know a lot about and what they're interested in. And the first thing you do is if you can be on that podcast and, and actually share your story and why this is so, you're so passionate about this, et cetera, then you create an emotional connection. Then yep. if you can run paid ads for any podcast after, right? So now they've created an emotional connection. They know who you are and now you hear your ads. Then you have the podcast hosts do organic posts about your pop so that they show that they're actually users of your product. Um, and then if you can run paid ads yourself, white label, whitelist those and run yep. performance marketing, you can then hit that audience so many different times, even better if they have a newsletter and an email channel and you can add that on, but you just truly, truly like go deep with an audience is so crucial for us. Like we've done that a lot. Yeah. Well said. So eloquently put. Um, okay. One last question and then we'll get into the rapid fire. Um, if you could do a collab with anybody, who would it be? I might get hate for this. Oh, you're going to get in trouble? Give us maybe. the hot take. I think the Kardashians are genius marketers yeah. and everything that I like talk about with health and wellness. Like we, we obviously like we did something with the Kardashians and we're very friendly with the Poosh team and I've done stuff with Courtney, but like continuing to align with like them. Cause I think that they're brilliant marketers. They are. Whatever, whatever judgment aside, like, I think that's unequivocal. Like it, yeah. they get it done. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, oh my gosh, you made it to the rapid fire, Amanda. Are you ready? I'm nervous. Yes. I know. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll take it easy on you or will I? All right. Overrated, underrated Miami. 
under. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Overrated. It's incredible. You, you like it? Yeah. Like, I think that more and more people are realizing, like, you can live in a really, like, warm, awesome place that feels like vacation and still be around really smart, like, growth-minded people. Like, people, anybody that's still hating on Miami hasn't spent time here. And a nice, nice tax structure. Save you some money, too. Can't, can't forget that. Uh, Urbana Champagne. Overrated, underrated. Ugh. I want to say overrated like but it's just because I was in a sorority and I like look back and like are you a Greek oh that's so amazing and like Greek life just like ran the campus and like looking back I was like that was so dumb (laughs) like (laughs) I'm learning so much about you um microdosing overrated underrated underrated it's going to be the future of medicine i love you bold bold woman i love strong women um fashion overrated underrated fashion is underrated i think we it's taken to mean like one specific thing like you have to be fashionable but i think fashion it true fashion is subjective and like this girl that I worked with at the knot, she was the most fashionable person I've ever met in my entire life. And she like put the most like thrift store shit together and it never matched, but she looked so cool all the time. And I, I was just like, it's self-expression. And to me, like I being individualistic and being different is actually beautiful. So I'm Miss Anderated. Oh, I love that. Makes the world fun. I'm totally with you. Um, Netherlands. I know uh, you were shopping your 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 uh, pseudo boyfriend around on the on the boat, but the Netherlands. Not my enough. boyfriend. <laughs> he was a boat driver. Gosh, it was not a like hundreds of years. Guys, what? Um, he's literally driving the boat. Uh, Netherlands is underrated. Like everyone should go. It has. I, I just spent a week in Amsterdam, and it's like we were talking, it's the most inclusive judgment-free city that I've ever experienced. It was the first, the place of the first gay marriage. Um, Like it was so cool. And and the people were just like so kind and warm. Yeah. It's on the list for sure for me. Um, Starting a business, overrated, underrated? Overrated. I think Mm -hmm. that we glorify entrepreneurship too much. And um, not enough people talk about how hard it is, how much money you can lose. Like I lost a lot of money with my first company and I I was like, I'm never doing that again. Um, And truly, truly the toll on your mental health as a founder is real. And I think we, we, and maybe this is like just a Twitter, Twitter echo chamber, but I think we glorify it too much. I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's a certain like honor and knowing what you want to do with your life. And it's totally fine if you just want to be an employee and do great work and build out something, but you don't want the extracurriculars because like, I'm not even, I mean, obviously I have equity and yada, 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 but I didn't found this company. I was the first non-founding executive, but like early stage startup life is really hard. Like I, from October to February, I was basically a one man marketing team. And I just, I, my health took a hit. My wasn't showing up in the relationships that I cared about. Like 
there's a lot of sacrifice that to your point, like it does get glorified and all that stuff gets swept under the rug. And a lot of times too, you're going to fail. So it's it, like, not that it's for nothing, but it's like, you, no. you do a lot of this stuff and like, you don't even make any money. You don't get your bag. And it's like, man, that's a challenge. So I, I love that take. I, I think that you like, even just admitting that like your relationships took a hit, like, like my divorce came a year after my ex started a business because like, of the toll and not that that was like the reason, but, um, definitely like, I think more and more business executives and people who have made it really, really far should talk about the sacrifices they had, because if your goals are to have a healthy relationship and have a family, then sometimes these pathways or this thing that we're glorifying, which is like, you have to be a multimillionaire. You have to do this. You have to do this come at the expense of things that you maybe actually want in life. Perfectly put. Beautifully put. Um, TikTok, overrated, underrated? Underrated. Like, I think that we're still just, like, figuring it out as a platform. Like, I, I we're, like, early adopters are now, we're probably, like, almost to the peak, but I still say underrated. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too. Um, what's your favorite gummy? Sex, drug, strength, stress, what's your, what's your go-to? Oh, it's like saying I have a favorite kid. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so I take the strength gummy every single day. It's the thing that gets me through like that afternoon workout because it's got a very small dose of caffeine and then the, the CBD kind of wipes away the effects of the caffeine. Um, and then the stress gummy is also like probably my daily. And then I actually do the sleep drops, not the sleep gummy. Oh, pro tip, people. Hearing it hearing it from the lady herself. Amazing. Um, favorite meal and why? You had that. Uh, I'll have to link it in the show notes. Uh, my, that little mashup. You were such a ham. It's so funny. You and your, you had so many just funny meals and faces. And oh, my gosh. I, you're just the life of the party. But what's your favorite meal and why? Oh, I love food. Um, <laughs> I ate so much in Europe. Uh, my favorite meal is breakfast because I let myself eat sugar at breakfast. And so I wake up and I'm like craving, like I love a sweet breakfast. Like if I can have a Nutella something or. Naughty girl. Yeah. I I'm, I'm down for a breakfast and I just, I'm happiest in the morning. I'm a morning person. So yeah. Amazing. Uh, Favorite fashion brand or designer. I am not a designer gal. Uh, I wish I was, but I have never been that. Um, like I literally shop at Target and Zara and, oh, I was like an OG bringing Abercrombie back just for the record. Yes. I am one of those people that like years ago was like, I think Abercrombie is going to be cool again. So I would say 70% of my wardrobe is Abercrombie. Not oh my god, that makes me so happy! I actually used to work there, and uh, that's Same. I, oh my god, <laughs> what a ridiculous job! Oh I my swear god, where I that still is... have like fierce the cologne, like is somewhere <laughs> in my DNA. <laughs> I, and I used to rage in my younger years, and so that was like the worst job to go into hungover because you have this like crazy cologne smell. You got the oomsa oomsa music. Like it was, oh my gosh, I remember the, the good old days to be young again. Um, favorite place to travel to and why? 
Um, I loved, I mean, I did love Switzerland, going to the Alps and like hiking and being away from it all. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just like selection bias because I was just there. I also really love Costa Rica. Like, I think that there's so much diversity in like what you can do. Like I went one time and like, like literally one day I'm like whitewater rafting and then the next day I'm like hiking with monkeys and the next day I'm yeah. in like the rain, like the cloud forest, like thing. Yeah. Like I think that there's a lot you can do and it's such a quick flight. Like you can literally from Miami be there in like hour and a half. Oh, I'm so, I, I have friends that have like a yoga compound in uh, Costa Rica and before it was actually, I was there when the world was falling apart, when COVID started and it was the most awkward thing. Cause you're like in paradise, but you kind of want to go home. No, it's legit. Like, so my buddy's dad is like a Buddhist monk. And so he'd lead us through meditations and he, it, it was, he's a strength guy. You should come out next time for the, but they had to stop him. Obviously yeah. now they're kind of back, but there's kind of still some weirdness to travel there and stuff like that. But it was my favorite because I'm so capitalistic, so plugged in. And I would go back there and like, just absolutely lose like 10, 15 pounds. Cause they would bring, they cook all your food. And like, it was just as perfect. He has an amazing gym and, it was do yoga, gym, meditate, talk about awesome stuff. It was, uh, there's certain places like, this is going to go hippy dippy, but Sedona in Costa Rica, there's a, they live in a little bit outside of Uvita, but there's certain places I think in the world that have like some natural healing, like capabilities just inert in them. And uh, Costa Rica is definitely, a, it's a really cool, yeah, great picks. I there are two peas of the pod, the, yeah. me and Amanda. Okay, last one, and then we'll wrap it up. If you could have dinner with three people dead or alive, who would it be? So you're sitting at a four-person table. You're sitting at the head. Who's getting the three invites? <clears throat> oh, my God. Michelle Obama. Okay. I want to know what it what it was like, what it's like to, like, be – have a successful relationship, have your individuality, like, all those things. <clears throat> Michelle Obama. Okay, I kind of want Oprah too because I think one, they'll have like an interesting dynamic because they know each other. But two, I just think like what Oprah has done with her life and she remained single like her whole life um, and and, like how she handled like all the things that she had to be like, had she had to go through, like her resilience. Um, Who would I put in there? Dead or alive. Kind of want brownie wise. Like I want to know. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like I would love to have her and, and also be able to be like, I, I built a company in your honor, like, because we needed more women like you, like forging the path. Um, and I kind of would do it just so that way she knew that like, it wasn't for naught. like, cause she went into hiding after that and she never, she kind of like died alone. And so I would want her to know that she, her legacy stayed on. Oh, that's beautiful. Bunch of powerful women around the table. I love it. I love it. I love it. Amanda, you made it through. That's it. That's the rapid fire. Congratulations. Amazing. Okay. Tell people how they can get more involved in House of Wise, how they can follow you. This time is yours. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in trying the products, you can head to houseofwise.co. Um, and happy to share with you like a discount code. We can drop it in the show notes or something like that. Perfect. Um, then uh, you can follow me on Twitter is where I share more of like my marketing stuff. I do lead a marketing masterclass with Maven once a quarter. 
um, where I talk about brand building, community building, et cetera. Our next cohort's oh, in cool. July. So if anybody's listening to this and it's before July, um, <clears throat> we do have spots still available for that cohort. And then Instagram is a clusterfuck of like my, yeah. my personal yeah, life, the best. mom life, like you've been warmed. <laughs> <laughs> you, Instagram is a must follow and the Twitter is a must follow as well, where your, your feed is fantastic. And it's definitely, uh, it's funny. It's almost like business entrepreneur, Amanda. And then like, I don't know how it is. Your Instagram is just a must follow. It's so fun. Like it, it's just the quirkiest, most like your captions, your stories. I, you're, you're a lunatic and I love every bit of it. It's um, awesome. Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate. Um, amazing. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for taking the time. You crushed this. Our listeners are going to absolutely love it. I'm actually going to get my little house of wise package. I got to get my health back together. And I know like the big thing for me, I like the idea too, of lining up my day with my body. That's, it sounds, it sounds so silly that I'd never thought of that before, but sometimes like the, the simplest advice is always the best where it's like, it's simple because it's effective. Like I think sometimes people can overcomplicate things and me, me included, I, I'm like the king of overcomplication. So Thank you so much for taking the time. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to get more involved with Triple Whale, we are trytriplewhale.com. We are on the Bird app at Triple Whale. Um, and we also have a fantastic newsletter that goes out every Tuesday, Thursday uh, called Whale Mail. So you can subscribe right on our uh, Twitter profile. So Amanda, thank you so much. It's glad to have you back in the state safe. And then um, if you're ever out in Austin, give me a shout. We're also having a DTC awards show called The Whaleys in September. So you got to come visit. Come out to Austin. It'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be a blast. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. I'm holding you to that. All right, Amanda. Thanks again for taking the time out of your schedule. Folks, go get you some gummies. Go give Amanda a follow on the Bird app. And if you are so adventurous, go hit the follow on her Instagram. You will not regret it. Thanks again, Amanda. We'll talk soon. Bye, guys.